You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. But um, so as always, for, and for clarity and context, uh, we're going to be reading through the whole of the Lord's Prayer, which Jesus taught to his disciples. So if you want to turn with me to Matthew 6, 9 to 13, and we should all have it memorized by now if we didn't already. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Be behind me on the stream as well. This is Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. He says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. From the evil one. Amen. Alright, so imagine this. You're reading an article online, say you're on CTV News' website or Huffington Post or something like that, and you're reading something important, maybe something important about the drug problem in Lethbridge or the latest shooting that happened this weekend or how Trudeau made another weird decision. Or, or, maybe, or maybe you're just checking the score of the hockey game last night, or whatever it is, but then then you get to the end of the article, and right below it, you find a series of pictures that look something like that. And you're like, what's this? And so you read it. Father refuses to let her marry, then 50 years later, she discovers why. And then for some reason, you want to know. Right? You, You want to know why. And, and you also want to know why a homeless cat only only carries food in a bag? Or, or what the lioness actually does with that baby baboon? Or, or what this outrageous truth about green gummy bears is that's going to blow your mind? I, I mean, I eat gummy bears. I, I especially like the green gummy bears, so is this something I should be worried about? Or is this going to let me eat more green gummy bears, right? Uh, so it's, even though you didn't care before, now, all of a sudden, you need to know that there's, there's something inside of you that wants to click on it, but at the same time, you know full well in your heart of hearts that, that you shouldn't, because all this is, is what we call clickbait. And you know that clicking on it will only lead you to an article that, that vaguely follows through with what the title implied or promised, and it may even lead you to a completely different article, or it could lead you to an unsafe website, but yet there's something inside you that thinks... What if it is a true article? You know? What's what's the worst that could happen? Because I really just need to know what the five best and worst foods to eat are. Especially which category the banana is in, right? We need to know that. Or, or how a strange note left on a car could make a woman cast. What, what does the note say? Or, or what my nose shape really means? Haven't, haven't you ever wondered that? No. But now you need to know. And, and seriously, a dolphin and a cute little dog? Yes, I'm clicking on that. I don't care what the consequences are. Right? That's, that's the, the power of clickbait. Its intended purpose is, is to pull you in. Right? To give you just enough information and promise of wonder to make you want to read more. But pretty much, again, 100% of the time, it doesn't follow through. It doesn't deliver on its promise. And even if it does, it's definitely not in the way that it tells you it will. Because the purpose of clickbait is, is simply to get you to come to their website. 
for ad profit, for traffic, maybe to steal your identity, even whatever whatever it is. That's the purpose of it. That's why it's called bait. It baits us with our emotions and our desires and our obsessive need to know, and then it, and then it hooks us in. We've all clicked on it, right? It's it's it, it's like a worm on a hook to a fish, or or a piece of cheese on a trap to a mouse, right? It promises wonder and amazement. You'll never believe what happens next. And then, nope, you're clicking through a series of pictures that have nothing to do with the article or picture that was promised. And then, what happens? You, you kind of feel dumb, right? You kind of feel embarrassed, you kind of feel angry, you've, you've wasted your time. In fact, th- this is what clickbait does to us. There's a chart if you want to throw that up and show it. See? There's a chart. When we see it, we're, we're intrigued, right? And then we become excited to find out this amazing thing. And then we instantly get let down. And then we get angry. But then we realize we're the ones who fell for it. We didn't have to click on it. So then we get depressed. Right? That is clickbait. And I think it says approximately three seconds. That's how long it takes. But now you might be wondering, why am I talking about clickbait? Well, the reason will shock you. that coming in. <laughs> For real though, you might have already guessed why I'm talking about clickbait. I'm talking about clickbait because it's a perfect example of what happens to us as Christians, spiritually and morally, when, when we're faced with and subsequently give in to temptation. Like clickbait, temptation lures us into a trap. Right? It tells us it's what we need. It tells us it will satisfy us. It tells us it's what we're missing. It tells us it will do us good and that it's no big deal. And, and maybe it tells us everyone else is doing it. But it's all just false advertising. The truth is that temptation always promises more than it delivers. In fact, most of the time it promises the opposite of what it delivers. And it doesn't even care if it follows through on its promise. Because once we take the bait, then it's one. Once we take the bait, it's one. All temptation cares about is steering us away from who we're called, created, and saved to be in Christ. It leads us into sin. It makes us feel ashamed. It makes us feel embarrassed. And therefore, the result of giving in is always destructive in regards to our relationship with God primarily, but also destructive to ourselves. It's destructive to our relationships. In other words, the point of temptation is to pull us away from, or at the very least, create a wedge between everything that we've been praying for up to this point in the Lord's Prayer. Everything we've been praying in the Lord's Prayer. Temptation's goal is to take us away from that. So it's no wonder or surprise that the last two petitions that Jesus teaches us to pray are for protection and strength against giving in to anything that would draw us away from the things that we've been praying for in the Lord's Prayer. In, in the book of Proverbs, King Solomon is, is expressing this same concept to his son. And he warns him against the schemes of temptation that would, that would pull him away from, from listening to wisdom. Wisdom which leads, leads to life, right? And he allegorizes temptation as the adulterous woman 
who, who approaches a young, clueless man and tricks him into falling for her by, by her dress and, and her speech, kissing him and telling him she's been waiting for him, that she's prepared her bed with luxurious covers and, and scents, and that her husband is out for the evening. And, and this is the result of, of what happens, and, along with the lesson to be learned. Proverbs 7, 21-27 says this, So she seduces him with all her talk. She entices him with her flattery. And he goes headlong after her, like an ox to the slaughter, like a deer leaping into a trap until an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird hurrying to the snare, not, a, not aware that it will cost him his life. Now, children, listen to me and pay attention to my speech. Don't turn your heart to her ways. Don't wander down her paths. She has caused many corpses to fall. She has killed many people. Her house is a path to the grave going down to the chambers of death. So as the, as the saying goes, temptation can be a harsh mistress. But it's also a scheming, an empty one. It looks amazing on the outside. It looks so good on the outside. It looks so promising. But it's actually destructive. It's actually a snare for our soul. But notice how, how Solomon's advice isn't to pray the, the temptress from ever tempting. Rather, his advice is not to turn his heart toward her. And I'd argue that this is the same perspective that, that Jesus is teaching us to pray here. He's not telling us to pray that temptation would be removed, but because that would be impossible, right? Not on this side of heaven anyway. He's teaching us to pray that we'd be able to resist it, that we wouldn't be led into it when it comes. Because we all know that temptation is everywhere. It's everywhere, right? We, we can't escape from it. And quite often it seems like the more we seek God, the more we're attacked by the tempter. So, so yes, it's something that, that we all face every day, by the hour, even, even by the minute even. It's, off, it's, it's crouching at every corner. Our society is riddled with circumstances and encouragement and opportunities to cheat and to lie and to steal and to lust and to fill our desires and to let our anger lead to hatred and on and on, right? The temptation comes. And it comes from other sinners. And it comes from the desires of our flesh. And it comes from the devil. And it comes from living in this fallen world. Which means that to stand firm and walk in righteousness as a Christian is not easy. It's not easy. But in some regard, I think that's part of the point. The Greek word uh, for temptation in this passage is harassmos. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I don't speak or read Greek. But according to my commentaries, this word can also be translated in some contexts as, as a trial or a test. It's a trial or a test. And while God never tempts us, he does sometimes lead us into, into trials or tests for the purpose of, of refining us and revealing what's truly in our hearts. And uh, Henry read that earlier this morning. Start up the service. He read about that. So when God brings us into trials and, and allows us to be tempted, it's for a purpose. And, and I think that sometimes it's to make us realize where we're at in our faith. To open our eyes to where we're truly at in our faith. And to also bring us into deeper repentance and to maturity as believers. So to pray, lead us not into temptation, is, is a humble cry to God that we wouldn't give in or, or succumb to the trials or temptations that come our way. But instead that we'd be able to overcome them by, by His grace. And that we, we grow through it. As it says in James 1, 2-4, that Henry read earlier already, but read it again. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know 
that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, so there can be a divine purpose when we face trials and even temptations. It shows us who we are, and then as we persevere, it produces maturity. But I don't want us to get the wrong idea. I don't want us to start thinking that if we don't pray this prayer, then God will lead us to be tempted. Because that's not what this is. This isn't a prayer to change God's mind. Since God doesn't tempt us to sin. Again, he, he will allow us to go through trials and maybe even lead us into, into tests. Like you know, with the Israelites or, or with, with Abraham and Isaac, right? And, and sometimes he will allow us to be tempted. But God never directly tempts us himself. We need to, we need to remember that James 1 13 to 15 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But this is what happens when we're tempted. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So it's not God who tempts us and leads us to sin and death. It's God who protects us from being led into it by our own desires. So rather, this is a prayer asking God to do what he's already promised. To lead us out of the temptation of trial when it comes our way. To give us wisdom and protection and strength to persevere. And in the same vein, then, this is also a prayer for readiness. A prayer for readiness that we'd be alert, that we'd be prepared, and that we wouldn't be naive to its danger, because as it says in Proverbs as well, it's the naive that fall into the trap. It's those that, that aren't ready, and who aren't able to see temptation for what it is, that become coerced and led into it, or, or try to justify it even, right? Like a student that doesn't study for a text, those, those who aren't prepared mentally and spiritually for trials and temptations will fail. They will be led into it. So it is not that temptation is also a cry for wisdom, right? For, for discernment, for supernatural ability to, to see the consequences and reality of what temptation is, is seeking to do, right? That, that clicking on that clickbait won't lead to what's promised, but will lead to regret and, and to shame and to hurt and to broken relationships and to spiritual death and ultimately to turning from and dishonoring God, which is the definition of sin. When Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night he was betrayed, you know, right after he finished praying that powerful prayer, not my will, but your will be done, he found his disciples sleeping. This is what happened. Matthew 26, 40-41. So as he came back to the disciples and found them sleeping, he said to Peter, couldn't you stay alert one hour with me? Stay alert and pray so that you won't give in to temptation. The spirit is eager, but the flesh is weak. So to pray, lead us not into temptation, is, is a prayer to be alert, to be watchful. It's to be ready to deny any and that would try to trick us into taking, into taking our satisfaction and focus off of Jesus and the abundant life that he has for us.
We need to be alert. And in the same vein, it's also a humble recognition of our own weakness, isn't it? As Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. Just ask an alcoholic, an abuser, a drug addict, a tax evader, an adulterer, a compulsive liar, a thief, the insider trader, the compulsive buyer, the, the porn addict, the apathetic believer. Let's look at ourselves in the mirror and ask ourselves. The flesh has a hard time saying no. No matter how much we know not to go there, and how many times we've already said no, we do what we don't want to do. In other words, in our own strength, we'll eventually cave to the onslaught of temptation. We'll, we'll, we'll give into it. We'll be led into the sin. Just as the disciples did after Jesus was betrayed and arrested. The temptation to, to betray him, to deny him, to, to run from him for their own safety. One the day. No one stuck around. And why was, why was their flesh weak even though they knew it was wrong? Because instead of praying and asking God to strengthen their spirit and prepare their hearts for what was to come, they fell asleep. They fell asleep. And this prayer is reminding us not to fall asleep, spiritually speaking. That we can't just wait for the moment of temptation to come and then get on our knees in prayer. I mean, if, if, if that's all we have left, then we definitely should. Better yet, we should be on our knees in prayer beforehand, daily, preparing our hearts, asking for protection, for God to be our refuge and our shield and to keep us steadfast. We should be asking for all this before temptation comes, so that when it does come, then we're we're ready for it, so that we won't be led into it by our own desires, but away from it by His grace, by His strength, by His Word, by His Spirit. Jesus is our ultimate example of this. At, at the beginning of, of his ministry, after he was baptized and filled with the Spirit, the, the Spirit of God led him to be tested in the desert for 40 days, where he was also tempted by the devil. And it says three times he was tempted. And each and every time he was tempted, Jesus was prepared for the onslaught by proclaiming the word of God against anything that the devil threw at him. Right, the devil taunted at him, since you're God's son, turn these stones to bread. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days in the desert. So he's probably really hungry. So the devil's using that against him, taunting him, tempting him. But Matthew 4, 4, Jesus replied, It's written, people won't live alone by bread, but by every word spoken by God. This is a temptation uh, in the desert that the Israelites failed to pass. But yet Jesus... In the flesh, even though he was hungry, mastered over it, because his spirit was set on God, his daily bread, the word of God, his daily bread. And again, the tempter said, throw yourself off of this temple, because God promises the angels will protect you. Matthew 4, 7, Jesus replied, again, it's written, don't test the Lord your God. So Satan actually tempts him here by trying to use the scriptures against him. This is, this is a popular method these days, too. People try to twist scriptures 
They use them against us to try to, to trap us. The Pharisees do that to Jesus as well. But in this moment, and in every moment, Jesus was prepared. He wasn't fooled or surprised by this because he knew the word. And then he was ready. And he simply used the word of God correctly to protect himself from taking the bait. And finally, the devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I'll give you these if you bow down and worship me. That's quite the temptation. In Matthew 4, 10, Jesus responded, Go away, Satan, because it's written, You will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So Jesus was tempted again in three different ways. Now let's be honest, in ways that we would fail. Right? In ways that we would fail in our hunger, would we not do whatever we could for bread? In our pride, are we not tempted to test God? In our lust and idolatry, would, would we not bow down to whomever if we could have all the riches in the world? But Jesus took on flesh. In the flesh, conquered them all. He did what we couldn't in the flesh because he was ready. So again, to pray, lead us not into temptation, is a prayer to be ready. It's a, it's a prayer that, that leans on and trusts in the only one who's strong when we are weak. It's a prayer that asks God to write his word on our heart and in our minds so that like Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have discernment and steadfastness against any deceit or lies that would try to steer us away. So we can experience its promise in 1 Corinthians 10.13 that says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So with, with our worship, with our, with our eyes set on God, with His Word on our heart, in our minds, there will be no temptation that we can't overcome. He will always provide a way out. He will always give us perseverance in the right word. And he has. But again, we can't just wait until we're in the moment. That would be like a man who tries to buckle his seatbelt at the very moment a car is crashing into his. Right? It's too late, buddy. One thing I suggest then is, is first of all, Examine yourself. Know yourself. Right? Because only you can really know what temptations are a struggle for you. Only you can really know what, what trials will be difficult for you. So figure that out. Be, be honest with yourself. And then from there, I challenge you to dig into the Word, into the Bible, and memorize some verses that pertain to overcome, overcoming those specific struggles. So that when you face them, like Jesus did in the desert, you can use the word of God to speak against them. Right? So, something like, he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. You know, memorize these things. That you can speak against them. Arm yourself with the word. Every, every day is a battle, and no soldier goes into battle without ammunition. Right? The word of God is our ammunition against temptation. So be alert. But in the same vein, no soldier fights a battle that he doesn't have to. Right? So while we can't avoid temptation altogether, we should use wisdom and avoid it when we can. As J.I. Packer writes, he 
says, we watch against temptation by noting what situation, company, and influences expose us to it, and avoiding them whenever we can. As Luther said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head. Right? Temptation's going to come. But you can keep them from nesting in your hair. So find out what for you is fire, and don't play with it. Again, as Christians, this, this prayer reminds us to, to and strengthen, strengthens us to be prepared, right? But it's also a prayer that asks God to reveal to us and give us wisdom to know who and, and what we should avoid. To find out for what for us is fire, so that we can avoid it, so we we won't play with it. Or, or as Jesus says, Matthew five twenty nine to thirty, He says, "If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell." Of course, Jesus is speaking allegorically here when it comes to the self-mutilation. So there was this one guy in, in our Bible college who had a prosthetic limb, and uh, as a result of that, there was this rumor going around that the reason he had it was because he took this verse literally. Uh, it wasn't true, of course. <laughs> but see how tempting it is to spread juicy rumors? Even, even at Bible college. But anyway, part of praying this prayer is to ask God to, to reveal to us the people or, or things in our lives that, that we need to avoid or, or rid ourselves of so that we won't be tempted beyond what we can bear. Right? If, a, if a friend keeps convincing you to do dumb things, don't hang out with that friend. If you can't stop looking at porn, just get rid of your computer. If a co-worker causes you to want to cheat on your spouse, then don't be alone with her. If alcohol makes you abusive, then pour it down the sink. If you can't help but look over your classmate's shoulder during a test, then sit at the front row. Right? Simple examples. But hopefully you get the chance. And these aren't solutions necessarily. Right? These are just band-aids that, that cover up the wound until we're finally healed, until we're finally freed from the desires of the flesh, which, which Jesus has has done and is doing in our hearts by His Spirit. But to avoid the things which tempt us is just simple wisdom. It's just simple wisdom. And finally, again, as I've said in my other messages regarding this prayer, we can't ignore or gloss over the plurality of the prayer. That we're praying for us and not just me. We're praying for us and not just me. And on that end, I have four suggestions for us as a church. The first one is that we should be praying for and watching out for one another when it comes to temptations and trials. This morning, as we were walking up the stairs from prayer, Pastor Blair was telling me that he was praying for me this, this weekend, and he was like, I don't know why. And I was like, probably because I'm preaching on temptation. <laughs> I appreciated that very much. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We should be praying for one another and being alert and watchful for one another in this. 
which leads me to my second point. On that end, we should also be open and honest with one another in regards to our struggles and our temptations. Right? Asking for help. Asking for prayer. Asking for accountability or, or someone to disciple you and, and mentor you and, and, and help, help study the word with you. Help prepare our hearts. He says people can't help you or, or pray for you specifically or stand with you if they, if they don't know what you're dealing with or if you're struggling with something. Right? So we have to be honest and open with one another. And this is a church where you can be open and honest with one another. Which leads me to the third point in the same vein. that we should also be open to receiving wisdom and correction. Our knee-jerk reaction, I think, when, when someone comes up to us and tells us that we're in sin, something like that, and our knee-jerk reaction is, don't judge me, right? Who are you to judge me? But really, we're just saying that because we're, we're ashamed or we're too prideful to receive correction. As Proverbs 12, verse 1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. And I tried to find a translation that didn't say stupid, but most of them said that. <laughs> Because it's some, and because it is, it's a bit. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates your proof is stupid. And I'm stupid sometimes, I'll admit it. But if a fellow Christian comes to you, you know, someone from the church that cares about, obviously cares about you, and they, and they come to you, and then they're concerned that you're not living for Christ, or noticing that you're giving in to temptation, or walking a fine line and about to destroy your life, right? That's, that's not them judging you. That's love in action. That's a fellow Christian concerned about your faith and well-being as a citizen of the kingdom of God. So we should be open to receiving and hearing from those who love us and care about us. On the same note, then, this means that we shouldn't be afraid or hesitant to call one another out as we see them in sin. This is something that we're not very good at because we've created a culture of just let let people be who they want to be, right? But the, and I'm not saying this is permission to run around pointing out each other's faults. This is a permission to run around, you know, casting judgment on everybody. And yes, we have to deal with the plank in our own eye first. But the purpose for dealing with the plank in our own life is so that we can help our brother and sister in Christ with theirs. But we do help them in love and with grace. Hebrews 2.13 says, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So in the same vein, we don't just call people out, right? We we need to be ready to follow through by standing by that person until they can overcome Christ. Galatians 6 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. In other words, don't bother admonishing someone if you're not ready to bear that burden with them. Right? Don't bother posting on Facebook that so-and-so can sin if you're not ready to bear that burden with them.
Because that fulfills the law of Christ. And that's what Jesus did for us. He called us out as sinners. He calls us out as sinners. But not unto judgment. Unto mercy and grace. To help us. To bear our burden for us. That's why he, he took on flesh. That's why he was tempted as we were without sin. And that's why he conquered our sin for us at the cross. Hebrews 2, 17-18 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become merciful, a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's so good. And not only does he help us when we're being tempted, but because he himself was tempted as we are, he, he sympathizes with us as well. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he, he knows how difficult it is. He understands the struggle. He took on flesh and experienced everything that we experience. But the difference is that he conquered it. He conquered it for us. So we can lean on him. And we can look to him in prayer to help us, to strengthen us, to give us the grace and perseverance to overcome in our lives as well. To be led not into temptation but in victory over it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've called us into your kingdom, Lord. That you, that you call us your children, that, that you desire to share in your, your glory with us, your grace with us, your wisdom with us. That you desire to, to use us as your ambassadors in this earth, Lord, to, to proclaim your gospel, to make disciples of all nations, Lord God. But at the same time, we are aware of our weakness, Lord. We are aware that there, there are things, that there are people, there are circumstances that, that would try to, try to pull us away from who you've called us and, and saved us to be in Christ, Lord. And so I, I pray that, that you would remind us daily to, to prepare our hearts in prayer. That, we, that we, we would study the word. That we would continually look to you as our refuge and our strength. To keep us from being led into temptation. But to keep us, or rather to keep us steadfast in your loving arms. Lord, I thank you that, that you are a strong tower and the righteous can run into you and be safe. I thank you for that reminder today. And I pray for any of those here this morning that, that are in the midst of struggling with in a trial or, or with a temptation, or having a hard time resisting, Lord God, I pray that you would strengthen them even now. I pray that they, they would be open and honest to sharing that with, with one another, with, with the prayer team by the window if, if need be, Lord, and, and, and that you would just give them freedom even now in Jesus' name. Amen.